0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Intermediate English with me, Benjamin. It's been a really long time since I uploaded a podcast, and I'm sorry that you've had to wait so long. I thought it would be a good idea to launch into this episode by doing an episode on a subject that is pretty different from my usual topics. For this episode, I'm really lucky to be able to present an interview with a friend of mine, a friend who knows far more about this topic than me. Thanks so much for coming to talk to us. Um, I just wanted to start off by asking you about football and about your relationship with football. When did you start enjoying it? When did you start playing it?
1: So it's funny because I think you think of me as a very football kind of guy. And um, in reality, I actually came to football a lot later than most hardcore football fans. So I was never very good at football as a youngster because uh, many different reasons, but mostly the fact that I had no coordination with my like limbs. Um, so I was always really bad at football like with other school children and things like that. Um, but then as a as I turned about sixteen, it became the only thing that like the other guys were talking about. So I sort of learnt to speak football to sort of become part of the boys and to become part of the uh, the group. Uh, you know, I picked a football team around that sort of age and uh, Tottenham Hotspur, by the way, they're not doing very well at the minute, don't, don't watch any of their games, they're really awful to watch. Uh, and basically started getting interested from then on in. And I play a bit now and I still, you know, I started playing probably more seriously as the years went on, as opposed to playing seriously as a youngster and then following it through. Um, but yeah, I've probably been most active in football in the last 10 years. And yes, yeah, it's, it's a good, it's good fun. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the, the spirit of it. I enjoy the group, uh, the teamwork. I enjoy playing 11 a side, which is amazing, but I, I'm happy to play a bit of five a side. And uh, yeah, I follow it every weekend
0: maybe we should take a moment to talk about the word football because it doesn't mean the same thing in the in the whole of the English-speaking world. So um, I know very little about football, but I know enough to say that there are 11 people on each side and uh, that you have to kick the ball <laughs> and you can't... You basically can't pick it up. And that is not true if you're in America and you say football, because in America, football is a different game.
1: Yeah, football in America is much closer to what we in England have as rugby, I would say. Um, Apart from you can pass forwards and they wear a lot of padding. Um, But around the world, football might be more commonly referred to as soccer. But we in England get very upset about that. We definitely call it football and get, yeah, annoyed when other other people try and call it soccer. We definitely then say football, yes.
0: I think it's worth mentioning that because, um, you know, this is a podcast for people learning English around the world. And I know I've got lots of listeners in North America. um, So I'm just conscious that when I use words like football, I'm re- using them in a really British sense. And today we're just going to not say British football or soccer or anything. We're just going to say football. Mm-hmm. We're two British people. Mm-hmm. Um, let's embrace that. We'll say football. And um, and I think it's pretty clear that we're not talking about American football. So, um, great. Um, so, you got into it a little bit later than maybe I might have imagined. But... Um, were you good at it once you started talking about it or did that take a while?
1: I really enjoy playing chess, so I really enjoy the the tactical side of football. I feel like those sides like bring together. So I like I'm much better as a defender. I'm not technically skilled enough to play in any of the forward positions. Uh in terms of my fitness, I'm also not fit enough to play in any of those forward positions. Um, defenders tend to run a lot less.
0: So you you prefer not running so much, you'd rather yeah. just stand at the back?
1: I'm, I'm always a spectator, and if I'm a defender, I get more chance to spectate. But actually, it involves a lot more reading the game, understanding where the ball's going to go, the six or seven different options that the person has the ball, wants to do with it, and choosing those different routes... And I like reading those and trying to stop them.
0: So being a defender is like probably one of the less glamorous things you can do on a football pitch, isn't it? Definitely. Am I right in saying that out of sort of the most famous footballers, not that there are a few exceptions, aren't there? But yeah. n- not that many of them are defenders.
1: Yeah, you think of your Ronaldo's and your Messi's and these sorts of players... And they're all the ones that score the goals because that's the most difficult thing to do in football. That's the the aim of the game as such. Um, But defenders are the ones tasked with with stopping those. And effectively, no one wants to see good defenders because they want to see goals. (laughs) So if they see a good defender, their team scores less. If they have a good defender, maybe a little bit better. But um, yeah, people want... Goal scorers.
0: Football must be one of the most popular sports in the world, if not the most popular sport. Mm. But I think there's a real connection between football and British identity. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's something really interesting that we could try and talk about and work out where does that come from? Because um, we don't have a, a British football team that plays very... Regularly, mm-hmm. I mean, just in the Olympics, right?
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So, it's quite complex to try and work out what that has to do with being British, but there is there is a connection there, or is it being English? What's what do you think?
1: So the connection for football in Britain uh, really comes from I think the love of competition and having something to to beat other people with or being good at something to sort of to win games against other people. And Britain as a as a country is, is divided into, you know, the four parts, uh, you know, Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland and England, and they are fiercely competitive with each other. It's a very yeah good way of allowing people to feel like they've won something once every so often.
0: So it connects a bit to the sort of competitive nature of of the Brits do you think yeah definitely mm, yeah definitely what about the fact that you know england as a football nation is a sort of moderately successful country right is that fair to say yeah we're not really brazil or uh i mean even france where i live has done a little bit better exactly so um what, what, Why is it that we have such a strong connection with the game, do you think?
1: So for me, I think that the reason why football is so prevalent in modern culture is because uh, previously, in the last sen- previous centuries, uh, we were a warring uh, community. Europe was very much fighting with each other. Even in the last century, we were having... Uh, you know, big, big wars with each other, killing lots of young, young people, old people, all sorts of people were dying. And since then, we've had a lot of economic and political changes, but also things like football have come to the fore as ways in which um, society can still have that competitive nature and competitive um, feeling without actually killing people, which I think is kind of one of the main reasons why it's done so well. And one of the main reasons why so many people love it because they they need something to compete with. They want to feel like they've beaten their neighbor in some way. They've overcome something because they feel good when that happens. So yeah, I think that's that's part of why it's so prevalent in society nowadays.
0: I guess supporting a football team is like being part of this enormous family. I'm saying this as someone who doesn't support a football team and doesn't really follow a lot of sport. But (laughs) it's a bit like being part of a big family, right? You all support the same team. And you have this shared identity, maybe... It's linked to a place as well. It might be your local team.
1: Yeah, forgive me for saying this, but it's a bit like a church. It's, so it's, um, you know, the sort of the stadium is the, the temple. The the worshippers are the people that go there to watch. Uh, maybe the choir or the football team. I'm not entirely sure about that. It's a bit, pretty tenuous link. Uh, but we're all, in a sense, worshipping in some way these uh these footballers and and the manager and we we want them to do well um also that ties in with uh singing for me uh, in that some of the best singing i've heard has probably been in a football stadium and also some of the worst but these people sing louder than i've (laughs) heard so many people um it's a real like atmosphere to be inside a stadium, watching these people really will the people on the pitch to go forwards and and beat the other team.
0: I have a um, question for you. It's a bit of a cheeky question. Mm -hmm. Um, So you support Tottenham. Yeah. What if, um, let's say the entire Tottenham team was sold to another club Mm -hmm. and that club so i don't know manchester city right mm-hmm. that club sold all of their players to tottenham yep which team would you support would you carry on supporting tottenham
1: so i think the idea behind it is is the history of the club and that's sort of where the the club is built and, and what the club is built on so in theory we shouldn't be supporting the individual players as supporters we should support support the club everything it has done historically most clubs have won something in their history some haven't won anything but most clubs have won uh won something in in the past and it's that feeling that that's brought to the the fans and it's that will to make it happen again
0: I wanted to ask you a little bit about the um, English football fans because um, both of us live in Europe. I think we're a bit. um, I think we're reasonably aware of what the perception is of Mm -hmm. English football fans, and it tends to be pretty negative. And I think even maybe it's got a bit better now, but but about ten years ago or or fifteen years ago. I think there was a very negative perception of English football fans. Is there any truth in that or are they worse than the others?
1: So I had a bit of a look at it and actually this word hooliganism uh, is uh, quite prevalent in in English football fan culture.
0: Do you want to tell us what a hooligan is?
1: So the word comes from actually a guy called Patrick Houlihan, which is an Irish name and he was a thief uh, and also a doorman or a bouncer at in in clubs around london uh in the ni- 1890s and he organized groups of people and they became known as hooligans or the hooligans and i think that's where this name comes from it then came into um uh, uh, society more for use of football in the 1960s and 1970s, where basically clubs have a group of supporters that would consider themselves to be the best supporters, like the elite supporters. And they would quite often meet local rivals at the stadium. You know, they'd all travel down to the stadium and they'd all basically have a big fight before the match. And that became quite common in the 60s and 70s where they just got very angry. And rather than letting the teams beat each other, they actually physically went and did it themselves, which became quite a big problem. Uh, And I think it ended in, to a certain extent, in the Hillsborough disaster in 1989, where 92, no, 96 people died. Uh, by being crushed by railings. Uh, and it's a very sad, uh, sad time. But basically, the police got more powers and they started dealing with hooliganism a little bit more. Um, but that led to Britain being banned from European cups. They weren't allowed to to play in European cups for a couple of years. And uh, that's kind of where this British... Uh, i The idea of British being hooligans and and the fans generally being unruly comes from from then on it's gone a bit further and you will have you know groups of fans traveling to with the the national team and basically wanting to cause trouble but it tends to be a very small minority and actually somehow it tends to get arranged that they meet up somewhere away from the stadiums nowadays and they'll do whatever they want to do And then have a little fight and then go to the football match after that, which I find quite funny. Like they must have a secretary or something like that that says communicates with the other fan secretary and says, right, we're going to meet at this park, you know, flash mob and uh, (laughs) have a little fight and then go and watch the football match.
0: That's really interesting. So there's the organised violence away from the stadium and then a bit of organised competitive violence on the pitch. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's another thing about football is that it's very much considered to be sort of peacocking in terms of violence it's it's considered it's a contact sport but more and more uh nowadays the contact seems to be lessened in the sport so any form of dangerous contact that could cause broken ankles or broken uh, or damage to another player is generally uh a red card offence, so a sending off offence, where the player should be removed from the pitch because they've done a dangerous, committed a dangerous act.
0: There's something else I wanted to ask you about, which is um, the fact that the women's game is mm-hmm. really not uh, seen as much on TV. Um, mm-hmm. it doesn't attract the same attention um, do you think that that's a big problem in football
1: I think it is a a problem and I think it is slowly getting rectified uh, more and more nowadays there's a lot more um, social media activity uh, and general uh, interest in the news in the women's in the women's game. I think, quite a lot in England. It's because the women in England are playing quite well <laughs> and they tend to get to the semifinals of the international competitions. So people like supporting them, which I think is, is fantastic. In North America, generally, the game is probably seen as more of a women's sport, I would argue. I, I'm, I'm not a resident in North America and I've not lived in North America, but I would say that... Uh, they want the boys to play more baseball and NFL and hockey maybe and things like that. But the girls are quite often playing football. Um, I think there's a film called she's the man about women playing football and uh, in a man's team and doing just as well because she's a woman. And I think there's a lot of women in sport, in football in North America, particularly, but around the world, I'd say it's, uh, a little bit behind the men's game in terms of how the world, how the people see it, how society sees it, which is quite sad because what they do and the skill level that they play at is still very high.
0: As I understand it, over the last year or so since um, the pandemic has um, become more and more significant in our lives and since there have been so many lockdowns around the world, British football uh, has started to take on more significance uh, around the world and become better known around the world. Is that something that you've noticed as well?
1: Yeah, I'd say that's true. Um, lots of people are looking for for an interest, for something to do. And one of the things that they did in the UK around COVID was they they started... When they restarted football so many people were insisting that it got restarted um they made it so that every game because you couldn't go to the stadiums to watch it they spread every game over uh, over the day so it's not now that all games start at three o'clock as it used to be um, you get A game starts at 12 or 12.30, then a game at 3, then a game at 5, 5.30, then another game at uh, 8.30. You, you know, it can go quite late. And I think that enables more people around the world to catch live football because at 3 o'clock, you know, in North America, it might be early morning, more like 10 o'clock in the morning, 11, 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, or even earlier if you're West Coast. Um, and it could be quite late uh you know when you go eastwards around the world so I think that these extended days makes it easier to view which might have contributed somewhat to it being more more popular around the world.
0: Tell me about the World Cup
1: So with the World Cup it's uh the next uh, edition is going to i say it's not the right word for that at all. The next competition is going to be held in twenty twenty two in Qatar um there's a bit of contention around this because Qatar is not a football nation it was a nation of about five hundred thousand about twenty years ago now it's two maybe three million uh so they're not considered to be a footballing nation as such, but they are hosting the World Cup. Uh, There's some serious issues with workers and migrant workers in Qatar. uh, And that is probably one of the darker sides of football, I would say, in that um, there still seems to be a lot of uh, corruption involved at the highest level where money will get the player that it needs to get to a certain club. And that's quite often a big problem. Uh, and it will also get certain things uh, to move in certain ways. Um, but we've got to work up in Qatar. It's going to be played in the summer in 2022 in the middle of the desert sun. Uh, and we'll see how the footballers handle that. They they were in Brazil in 2014. And uh, one of the things that hosting a world cup tends to bring in history is it tends to bring you your uh, or the the host nation a better result in the world cup and the brazil 2014 world cup was actually uh, not a good world cup for brazil where they were beaten by germany 7-1 in the semi-finals and ended up finishing fourth Um, they were very hopeful for a good result and sadly it didn't come about but the last team to to host and win the World Cup was France in 1998. Uh, so yeah,
0: it's a it's a great competition. So you think Qatar might be in with a good chance of getting to the final this time around?
1: I don't think they're qualifying. No, I think they automatically, automatically qualify, but uh, we'll see. I think uh, generally in terms of national teams, the reasons why the the bigger nations do well is because they've got a wider pool of players to choose from. So Iceland had a major shock in the Euros in 2016. They're a relatively small country, uh, very small population, and they managed to beat teams like England uh, in these competitions. So places like England, France, Brazil... Uh, tend to do very well in these competitions because it's a, a big culture and also a large population t- to support that.
0: But equally with football, there's this possibility that anything could happen. Like you mentioned, Iceland with a population uh, probably about 100 times smaller than England, m- managing to beat England. Um, so there are sometimes some big upsets, aren't there?
1: Yeah, they're, they're the highlights of the game. when When the underdogs beat the uh the favorites it's a really exciting part of the game really i support tottenham hotspur mostly because they lose quite a lot and when they do win it makes it all that bit more special uh they haven't won anything recently so i haven't got anything to to go by but uh (laughs) last time they won was 2007 or eight in uh, the league cup final um But yeah, the main reason why I feel like I got into football was that sort of conversation with other people that also like football. Uh, And I think that's probably one of the main things I think I could bring to to your podcast in that when I moved to Germany, I found that speaking in German was quite difficult and (laughs) speaking that language straight off uh, with relatively little uh, training in speaking German uh, was was incredibly difficult but actually football is an international language in that you've got players that everyone understands are very good England has so many teams that are very good and that people will know players from and you you might have players from your nation that play in a team in England and most people in England say oh, you come from Egypt, Mo Salah he's a great player and you'll say yeah he is a great player um, and it creates this little level of small talk that shows the other person that even though your language might not be uh, fluid and fluent you you can converse with these people and you can uh, you are a real person that can have a joke and have a laugh with these people which I think is, is great for breaking down those those barriers very early on. I
0: I, I know exactly what you're talking about because um, both of us, we we live outside of the UK, although we were both born in the UK. And um, I think that football and sport more generally is this way of allowing contact between people from different countries, encouraging contact for people from people from different countries and, Encouraging them to travel to go and support their national team or their um, the team that they support, um, mm-hmm. and I think that that can only be a good thing in general. Even if there are some moments which um, which are not so positive, at least mm-hmm. in general, this is something which builds bridges between people. And sport allows us to um, to engage with people from around the world and to meet them to understand their customs and to understand their interests and experiences Mm -hmm. and to talk about our own as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it's, it it might even, um, might even be quite a positive way for us to represent national pride. My feeling is that football and sport probably do allow that, um, that sense of pride without having to draw a weapon, without having to, Mm -hmm. um, resort to violence. You're allowed to compete but after an hour and a half it's finished and you can go home.
1: Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I have a tiny little story to end with and I started uh, when I moved to Birmingham, uh, a city in England, to study. I started working at a French restaurant called called Chez Jules Uh, and in the kitchen were uh, two French Algerian men and they both, you know, fluently spoke French to each other. And I can't speak a word of French, as Ben knows, apart from maybe introducing myself. <laughs> um, and the one of the chefs was quite a nice guy. He was interesting and uh, I got along with him OK. And the other one was a guy called Pappy. And Pappy, uh, he really didn't like me. I'm not not going to lie, he really didn't like me. Maybe it was the way I looked, maybe it was the way I, I walked around pretty carefree um, and he was sat in the kitchen making all the dishes, doing all the hard work and I would do the waiting and serve people. But he he hated me. And then I spoke to him about football and he's an Arsenal fan. And for those in the football world, there are certain teams that have... Uh, a derby with each other where they'll be local and they'll generally dislike teams for long periods of time.
0: So a bit of a competition between one and the other that's gone on for decades. Exactly. So
1: Arsenal and Spurs are nemesis, nemeses. And um, from then on in, when I spoke to him about football, being a Spurs fan, telling him that Arsenal were much better than us because at the time they were... Uh, And talking about the game, he started talking to me and eventually we became really good friends. And it made my work life a lot easier. It made me feel a lot better about myself and it it made him enjoy his work a little bit more. We'd have a joke every day about how bad Spurs were playing and how well Arsenal were playing or vice versa. We'd watch a couple of games together. We'd share a drink. uh, And... It really was a key to open that door and I really I think that it's it's very valuable to have something like that when you're uh when you're trying to talk to people.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well thanks so much, Rob. Um one thing we need to mention before we finish is your podcast, which is about football but um in an unusual form. Do you want to tell us a bit about that?
1: <laughs> Are you sure you don't wanna, you know, open it up a bit? Better yourself. No, um, yeah, it is, about, it is about football. It's about a version of the game called Fantasy Football or Fantasy Premier League to be more precise. Uh, I've got a podcast called Not So Fantasy Football, A Loser's Guide to FPL. There's a, there's a game called Fantasy Football where you pick 15 players and you put 11 of them onto the pitch and uh, they will play in real life every weekend. And when the player in real life scores a goal, you'll get a certain amount of points for the player that you decided to field on that day. Um, and you get your your team gets points and then you compete against other teams also getting points. And it's a community of about eight million uh, total accounts. Live accounts is probably a bit less than that. But uh it's played widely around the world. And we decided that we weren't very good. So we were going to give advice to people as to what we were doing so that they could choose, we being me and my friend Giannis, uh, so that people could look at our advice and choose to go the opposite way and therefore better their scores in this game of fantasy football. Um, so feel free to have a listen. We've got over 60 episodes and it's a... It's a great fun to record with my friend Janis. We, we both really enjoy it. And yeah, it's it's a bit of fun.
0: If you've done over 60 episodes, you can't be that bad at fantasy football.
1: We actually accidentally got better because we started researching it a lot more and because we wanted to produce a good quality podcast. We uh, have actually miraculously this year done quite well. Janis is in the top 60,000 from 8 million which believe it or not is quite well <laughs> and i'm in the top 150,000 uh so we're doing we're doing fairly well and we created a league uh so that you can join our league and if you beat us or if you win our league you'll get 50 british pounds uh so If you want to join that next season, sadly, it's not open this season anymore. But the competition reopens again in September for August, sorry, for next season.
0: So it's called Not So Fantasy Football and it's on which podcast platforms? It's... Uh,
1: distributed by Anchor, but it's available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts.
0: Fantastic! Thanks so much for coming to speak to us, Rob. Thank
1: you very much, Ben, for having me. It's uh, great, to, great to be here, and I've loved listening to your podcast. Let's
0: do this again soon.
1: Definitely. Bye.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Hopefully, over the next few months, we'll get back into the rhythm of making these episodes a bit more regularly. It's always great to receive your feedback and comments, so if you want to get in touch, or if you have any questions, or you just want to practice your English, you can send me an email at intermediatepods at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. That's all for this week, so have a great week and see you next time.